Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Our study this morning is an, enta- an encounter with John the Baptist. Christ's encounter with John the Baptist. Verses 1 through 11. Matthew and Luke, two of the Gospels, record this experience, this thing that John was going through, this trial, this heart-sinking encounter, whatever you want to call it, uh, that Jesus had also with two of John the Baptist's disciples after John had been arrested and put in prison. And this encounter came about because of the momentary failure that John had in his faith. John was a great man of faith. And yet God's word tells us about a time when John had his doubts about Jesus. And this is really a story I would say about all of us, all believers. I think at one time or another comes to that place, that prison, whatever your prison might be, where we have doubts and we wonder, is Jesus really who he said he was. Are the promises in the Bible for real? Are they really for me? So, John seemed to, well, he was a, he was a strong and, and, and true faithful believer. And yet there was a time in his faith when he got a little shaky. And he became a little doubtful. But John isn't the only great man or woman who has had his struggles in their faith. We tend to think that, that, you know, these great people in the Bible, these were special men and women. That they had maybe some kind of superpower or super protection or just God made them special and uh, the rest of us are just, well, we didn't get that kind of a deal. But... John is not only a great man, but he had his struggles in his faith. And like I said, there are those who think that, that God made him and, and others, you know, uh, with this, this super faith. And, and, you know, it doesn't happen to, to everybody. But again, it does. And, and God tells us about it. And though he was strong and true, he did have this, this time in his life where he was a little shaky. But again, we tend to think that... that God's great men and women um, have this 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 covering, uh, and they don't have struggles, you know, living out their faith like we do. Now, again, I don't know where we get these kind of ideas, because the Bible surely doesn't send that message. Life doesn't exempt anybody, no matter who they are, from tough times, from discouraging times in the faith, and some of the greatest men and women have failed. And will fail in the future in their faith. Martin Luther had many dark days. He once wrote this. Having all but lost my Christ, I was beaten by waves and tempests of despair. John Bunyan wrote, who wrote the great book, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. He said this. He went to jail. Well, he went to jail rather than compromise his faith. 
Once he said, though God has invited my soul with never so blessed a discovery of himself, yet afterwards I have been in my spirit so filled with darkness that I could not so much as once conceive what that God and that comfort were with which I had been refreshed. So you see, great men are not exempt from times of doubt. It's hard to find a greater man than John the Baptist. But you know what? He still had a time when doubt clouded his judgment for a little while. But this is one of the wonderful things about the Bible. It speaks the truth about everyone, about everything. It tells about the failures as well as the successes of some of its greatest people. It records the lies of Abraham and Isaac when Abraham was sent to, to, to Egypt. And when he gets there, he encounters a, a famine and, and he's worried about his wife. His wife is beautiful and he's afraid the king's going to add her to his harem. And, and he tells his wife, hey, tell her you're my sister. So that, you know, uh, so he had this lapse in faith. And then his son Isaac did it. You know, he followed dad's example. Uh, Moses, when he lost his temper, he beat the rock to get water instead of speaking to the rock. Peter, we have his denials against Christ. We have David, his adultery and his murder. So they all had, like John the Baptist, their momentary lapses of faith. They're all recorded in the Bible for us. And we can be thankful for that. This encounter, though, with Jesus that John had was initiated by a couple of disciples that John sent to Jesus to get some information from Christ. So let's begin now in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And the Bible says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, notice, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? John wanted to know if Jesus was really the promised Messiah of Israel. Are you the coming one? Now, John's question was to basically settle in his mind if Jesus was truly the one who he said he was. It's kind of strange that John would ask this question. Reason is because, you see, if anybody should know who Christ is, it's John the Baptist. But we'll see later on why he had these doubts. And these whys for his doubts are the same ones that cause our doubts today. Satan continually uses them over and over again. There's nothing more important than finding out who Jesus is. And, and there are, because there are, especially today, there are so many wrong ideas about who Jesus is. So many wrong ideas. Many people, you know, and especially the young people in colleges today, they're getting fed all kinds of garbage about who Jesus is. They're getting worldly ideas and philosophies and man's so-called wisdom. We hear on, on, on TV and different shows, you know, religious shows and, and, you know, different documentaries about Jesus and who he is. And so much of it, 99.9% of it is just garbage. It's not true. And again, it's what people hear that they tend to listen to. And John heard something and it's caused him some doubt. Hey, are you the coming one, Lord? So again, he's trying to settle this, this doubt in his mind. But again, of all people, he should have known. 
He should have known who Jesus was because he had all that he needed to know to, to know that fact. So, again, there's so many wrong ideas about who Jesus is. Some say he was a religious teacher, just a good religious man. Some say he was a lunatic. Some say he was a liar. Some say he was a rebel. He was a part of some cult. It's important to find out who Jesus is because understand it's going to determine where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. When John was in prison and he heard all about the things that Jesus was doing, he sends two of his disciples to Jesus and ask him, are you really the Messiah? Again, based on the things that he was hearing. Are you the Messiah that we have been expecting or should we keep looking for somebody else? Notice that we have been expecting. He had his own ideas. You see, the things that John heard were not the kind of things that he expected the Messiah to do. His work, his own work had been denounced. I'm sorry, his own work had been to denounce. Jesus' work, the Messiah's work, was to denounce the inequities in life. You know, his, his, his work was going to be to, to get ready or to get rid of the, 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 the people of that day, to cleanse the, the uncleanness with fire. He would be the one who would come in the same spirit as himself. John had that spirit of fire, but Jesus was going to come. Uh, with a greater fire, with a mightier manifestation, and, and, and he was going to lay uh, the axe to the root of the tree of evil, and he was going to quickly execute judgment in Israel. You see, this is what John expected from Christ. But you see, he didn't see it happening. This wasn't going on. He's wondering why this passive, do-nothing Jesus And how many times do we hear that from the world? Or sometimes we think about what's going on with this passive do-nothing Jesus. He's just letting things go by. He's just letting things happen. He's not doing anything. Why is Jesus so happy to just go around the villages and talk and help beggars and speak with nobody sinners while the nation is suffering under a foreign government and, and they're crying for a king, they're crying for a leader? So you see, there are many questions that could prompt John at this time to send men to ask Jesus, who are you? So the first thing that caused John his doubt was the things that he heard. The things that he heard. He'd heard. And when I see portions in the scripture where it says they heard or he heard, I underline them. Because it makes me think about, you know, we hear things and a lot of times we jump on the things that we hear and we, we allow them to enter our minds and they cause us all, kind, all the kinds of turmoil. He'd heard about the things that Jesus was doing while he was in prison. And Jesus' ministry had become well known because since John had last seen Jesus. And there were all kinds of stories going around uh, regarding his works, regarding the things that he was saying. So John was super interested in what Jesus was doing and John would listen with great interest when he was told about the works of Christ. John's one great interest in his life was Jesus Christ. His ministry focused on Christ because John was the forerunner. He was the herald. 
He was proclaiming the way of the Messiah. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament in Malachi 3.1. Listen to what it says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to send a messenger. That was John the Baptist to proclaim that the Messiah is coming. The things that caused John to ask about Jesus' ministry puzzled John. He puzzled him. The ministry of Jesus in his first coming was very difficult for most Jews and for John to accept. Because you see, their idea of the Messiah was somebody who was going to come to earth, destroy the hated enemies of the Jews, set up a kingdom, and then overpower all of the kingdoms of the world. You see, that's what, that was his expectation. That was their thought about the Messiah. But they hadn't thought very much about how he would first clean out the heart of the people. How he would cleanse the heart of the people before he would cleanse out the haters of the people. John's idea of Christ's ministry was taking more action than what he was doing. John's message emphasized this in Matthew 3 verse 12. Listen to what he said. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That was John's expectation right there. But as far as John could see, Jesus wasn't doing any of this. Jesus just seemed to be taking his sweet time in bringing judgment to the land. Where was Christ's judgment? On the wicked people, on the king, Herod, who had so terribly mistreated John. See, John's looking for retribution here. John's looking for God, take care of business. Where was Christ's judgment on the wicked religious leaders of the day? Why wasn't Jesus doing something about the cruel, oppressing rule of the Roman government? You see, the problem with John was that he had only a limited view of Messiah. His view. He thought of Jesus as the great avenger of sin. The great and fearful judge of all, which he is. It seems like there just wasn't any room in John's thinking for a gentle, kinder, caring aspect of the master's nature. So he's not seeing the judgment of Christ in his ministry. This is what prompted John to ask, who is this Jesus? Who, who, who is Jesus? Here's the second reason for John asking these questions. His place in life. His place at the moment. He's in prison. And like I said earlier, this prison could be, a, a, you know, a, a, an, um, it could exemplify a place in life. It could be a hospital room. It could be uh, uh, stuck in a, in a bad relationship, bad marriage. It could be a, a bad job. Just something that, that you just, it, it's just eating you up. You can't, you just don't seem to be able to get out of it. Or, or and get it resolved. Because John condemned Herod for marrying his brother's wife. Herod couldn't handle that. And so Herod, he arrests John and eventually puts him in prison. The prison was located, this is even made it worse, again, the place. 
The prison was located in the great Machiris Palace complex that Herod the Great built for himself. And where his son Herod Antipas, the Herod that arrested John, was now living and reigning. Machiris was located near the end of the southern border of Perea in a rough, desolate, mountainous area east of the Dead Sea. This prison was a small, damp, dark, filthy dungeon that was just below the luxurious palace living quarters of King Herod. Now, that would be a brutal trial for anybody, but especially for a man like John the Baptist because he was an outdoor guy. You know, he was used to being out and, and moving around, being free. Not only that, the prison stopped John's ministry. And unless John was able to get out of prison, it would seem that his public ministry was over. And all that he had to look forward to was time in prison, a long time in prison, or a violent death, a beheading. So it's no wonder that John got discouraged. It's no wonder that his faith began to, began to waver in that hole that he was living in. You see, his situation would weaken anyone's spirit. The third reason for his asking who this Jesus is, because he felt abandoned. How many times because of the things that we hear, the place that we are in life, we feel abandoned by God. Adding to John's great despair of being in that clammy, nasty dungeon was the fact that Jesus wasn't doing anything to get him out of prison. Where's my deliverer? Where's my God? Where's all the promises that he's made me? It seems like Jesus has just abandoned John to, this, to his cruel circumstances. It was reported to John. You know, he, John had heard that, 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 John, that Jesus was doing all these wonderful works. All these miracles, the lame <clears throat> are, are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the, 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 dead, are being raised, the, the dead are being raised to life. And, and John's probably thinking, well, that's wonderful. But ain't nothing happening here. Did he, has he forgotten about me? Has he just doesn't want anything to do with me? Nothing was being done by Jesus to set John free. When John first went to prison, you know, he probably expected every day that somehow, any moment, Jesus is going to come busting through them doors and he's going to set him free. Because surely Jesus wouldn't let his faithful follower just lie there in despair in that nasty prison. But then, the hours turned into days, the days turned into weeks, and there was still no deliverance. It was bewildering to John's heart, confusing his mind. All this brought up the fear that, you know what? Maybe, maybe I just made a mistake after all. Maybe this isn't the Messiah. And I'm thinking that may have been what Judas was thinking when he left Christ, when he betrayed Christ. Jesus wasn't doing the things that they thought he should do. He wasn't busting heads. He wasn't overruling the kingdom. He wasn't setting up his kingdom because they thought, oh man, we're going to have a good life when Jesus takes over. 
They weren't living the good life. They were suffering persecution and imprisonment and beheadings and, and, and all kinds of terrible things. They were hated. What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of life is this? And Judas probably thought the same. You know what? Forget it. This, this, this can't be the Messiah. So he betrayed him and thought he'd move on and have a better life. So you see, we can feel for John. We can sympathize with John because how many times in our lives do we get in this kind of a place? We counted on God to help us, to intervene, to deliver us from some unbearable dungeon. To deliver us from some some situation or some distress. Our ears are open. And our hearts are anxious. They're pounding with great expectancy, waiting for that. Oh, here he comes. I think he's coming. For that first sign of deliverance. But instead, we waste away day after day. Listening for the first squeak of that prison door to open. But we never hear it and the clock keeps ticking on. Time wasting away. We don't hear a thing. We don't see a thing. And we begin to doubt. And we begin to question. Is he God? Has he forgotten me? Have my prayers failed? Were his promises for real? Were his promises for me too? I hear about all these great things that are happening out there outside of my outside of myself. But nothing here. What seems like a lack of interest on God's part in his dark situation seems to say, you know what? The Bible promises aren't real. Wicked Herod. His wife Herodias, oh, they're living in the, in the lap of luxury uh, right above his dungeon. And yet Jesus didn't punish them, nor deliver John. Jesus wasn't doing anything. It was a super severe test of John's faith, and momentarily he's, he's having a lapse in his faith. And we see it in his questioning about the identity of Christ. Who is he? Now, according to Luke chapter 7, verse 19, it says, John called uh, uh, two of his disciples, and it says he sent them to Jesus. You see, when doubt comes in like a flood, it's so important that we do the right thing if we want to overcome the doubt. Because how we deal with our doubts and our confusion and our unknowing, that will determine what our doubts are going to do to us. Will they overcome us or will we overcome them? And the way John dealt with his doubts, it was very wise and he's an example to follow. When doubt took over John's thoughts, he didn't just sit and mourn. He did something about them. He did the right thing. Because he wanted to know for sure. You see, if, if we don't find the answer to our question about who Jesus is, it's going to get the best of us. You see, John wasn't happy letting his doubt get the best of him. He wanted the answers. He went straight to Jesus. He took action to deal with his doubts. 
That's the only right thing to do when it comes to doubt. John wanted certainty, and when it comes to spiritual things, we all need to be that way. You see, the devil would rather have us do nothing and just live in worry and anxiety and stress. He would rather have us just live in our doubt and our unrest and in our fear. But John was looking forward to answers. So he sends two disciples and, he, and, and they go straight to Jesus. He took his, his doubts through these two disciples straight to Jesus. He didn't ask Herod, hey, hey, can I have a meeting with you? Can we talk this thing over? Could you tell me how long I'm going to be here? What my, my fate's going to end up being? Am I going to get a long prison term and then get out? Or are you going to behead me or what? He didn't ask to talk to another disciple or, or ask for a hearing. We have doubts. When we have doubts, we need to go straight to Jesus Christ. We need to go to him in prayer and especially in the word. God will speak to us through his word. You see, God's word was given to us to help us believe, not doubt. That's what John said in 1 John 5, 13. He says, these things, notice, he said, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, notice, that you may know. The emphasis is on knowing. I wrote these things who believe in Christ so that you may know. So that you won't have any doubts. So that you won't have any questions. But I've written them to you so that you'll know. But if you don't read what he's written, how are you going to know? That's the problem today. Not enough reading and knowing of the scripture so that I can say, I know what God said. I don't believe in what the, the lies that Satan are telling me. I don't believe what I've heard. I don't believe because of the situation I'm in that he's abandoned me. Because he's told me he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And he'll be with me always to the very end. You see, John had some disciples with great character. John was the kind of guy who inspired character in people. So it's not surprising that some men of outstanding character would be drawn to serve with John the Baptist. And these disciples that John sent were committed, they were courageous, and they were servants. These disciples, they didn't abandon John when his popularity started to fade. These disciples, they weren't embarrassed because John was now in prison like a criminal. They weren't embarrassed because he's been arrested. They stayed with him. They stuck with him through thick and thin. Not many disciples stuck around when the hatred of the Jews and the persecution began to increase. Only a handful stayed who weren't moved by the storm of hatred that broke out upon the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of even Christians today that, you know, when they get pressured or they get they get cornered and asked and and teased about jesus they they run they take off they don't stand their ground because they're standing on the truth these two disciples couldn't forget what john had done what john had been to them 
That John first called them to, to the reality of living, that he taught them how to pray, that, that he, he led them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they didn't dare run out on John, especially now in the darkest times of his life, being in prison and, in prison and sorrow. These men were courageous. These disciples stood, who stood courageously with John to the very end, they weren't timid, they weren't fearful, they were courageous. They put their lives on the, lawn, on the line for John. They weren't afraid to say, John's my friend and I'm, I'm, I'm a disciple like John. They weren't afraid to identify with John, their faithful master. They didn't hesitate to come to his cell. And because of where John's uh, uh, prison was, it would take a lot of courage for them to come to, uh, to that prison to talk to him there. Now, it seems like John was allowed to have visitors. But even then, it would take a lot of courage to go to the palace of the wicked Herod in order to visit John. But if John wasn't allowed to have visitors, then these disciples were even more brave because they still made their way through to see John in in the prison in spite of all the dangers. So whether they were allowed to visit John in prison or not, their visiting of John took a lot of bravery under the current circumstances. John's disciples were servants. These disciples had another high quality about them. They performed a lot of service for John. Here we learn that they kept John informed about the ministry of Jesus. And they also went on this errand to find out about the identity of Jesus. And the errand was a long one. Because it went from the lower part of Perea up to Galilee, which, was, uh, which meant they had to go through some not-so-nice country. They had to go through some some bad lands. And now, those are real friends. Those are real friends who do favors for their friends. These disciples had been given much blessing by John's ministry. And they were paying him back by serving John in a lot of helpful ways. Now let's look at the answer Jesus gives them in verse 4 and 5. So the disciples have gone to Jesus. He's there. They ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He answers them in verse 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So I'm going to stop right there. So John's two disciples were given a good hearing. Jesus listened to what they asked. And Jesus answered them and he said, go and tell John what you see, the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are getting the gospel. The, the, the response that Jesus gave to the disciples, notice, was in the form of evidence and exhortation. Jesus didn't tell them, yep, you go back and tell Jesus I'm the Messiah. And what, and, and yeah, and, and everything's going to be okay. He didn't tell them that. All, he sent them back to, and, 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 with renewed evidence of what he already knew and an exhortation. Jesus didn't tell him, I'm he. Don't worry, John, no need to look for somebody else. You see, the answer that Jesus gave John was one that could lessen his doubts 
and here's the thing, strengthen his faith, and that's what he needed. See, John didn't need new proof. What John had to do was just look again at the proof that he already had about who Jesus was. He'd seen the blind receive their sight. He'd seen the lame walk. He'd seen the lepers cleansed. He'd seen the deaf hear the dead raised up, the lowly having the gospel preach them. It's the same for you and I this morning. A lot of times when we're in that place, when we're in that dungeon and we feel abandoned by God, we want, Lord, show me something. God, give me some kind of sign that you're in this and that that you're going to help me. He says, go back and look at the evidence I've already given you. Because that is good for today and that's good for tomorrow. I don't need a new miracle to see. I don't need a new sign. I don't need I've already got I've already got all that I need for today, tomorrow, and forever. He's same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't need something new. We don't need a new message today. What we need to do is review and preach the same old message again and again and again. And then they were to go back and report what, uh, report what they saw. And, the, and, and that's what the messengers were to do. But then Jesus added one more thing. This is the exhortation. He added one more thing to what they saw and heard. Notice what it says in verse 6 now. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This encouragement is for those whose faith stumbles over what they can't understand about God. It's for those who are upset by the fact that Jesus isn't popular, that his doctrine is hard on the flesh, and that self-denial is required to follow him. It's the encouragement to help us have a better perspective of life and to not look at today's injustices as the final conclusion of life. You know, John is looking at this. I, I am living righteously for God, and I'm in prison. Herod's up there committing adultery, living unholy, and he's in a palace. What's wrong with the picture? That's the way we look at it here. I go to church, I read the Bible, I pray, I give, I serve, and, and, and I'm going through this trial. This happens to me, or my family, or, or my job, or what. it happens to me. All these people out here doing whatever, sins, drinking, drugging, and whatever. Look at, they're just having the wonderful life. And you know what? That's true. But you can't look at the here and now. You see, that, that may be all of heaven that they experience here on earth, unless they repent. But this also may be all the inconvenience and, and trials and tribulations that you experience here on earth, because... In the end, they will spend eternity in hell and you will spend eternity in heaven. You see, we have to, have the, we, we have to be heavenly minded. We have to be looking at heaven and not earth and what's going on here. This isn't the end here. You see, God is preparing us down here so that we can live up there. That's what he's doing. It's the encouragement to help us have a better 
perspective of life. We need to look at eternity. That's where it's all going to be equaled out. The unholy will get what they have coming to them, and the righteous will have what they have coming to them. Let's look at verses 7 through 11 now. It says, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. After John spoke his worst about Jesus... (laughs) You know, is he the coming one? Should we expect somebody else? After John spoke his worst about Jesus, Jesus, notice, speaks his best about John. Jesus praised John very highly here. Verse 7 says, as they departed, that is, as the disciples of John, as they departed, that's when Jesus began to say to the multitudes about John, what a wonderful man he was. Notice the praise for John wasn't spoken until John's disciples left. So that John wouldn't hear about the praise. Why? This would keep the temptation of pride away from John. And it would also remind us that one of the great tests of faith is to do well without hearing any or very little praise. It's so that we would continue to do what God has called us to do with very little praise and honor for our work in this world. There will be plenty of praise and honor in heaven, but on earth, we're going to receive more insults and compliments for our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. But you know what? I want to hear my attaboy from the Father in heaven. Not from man down here. And one day, we're going to hear that. And that's going to be more than all the attaboys down here. He said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? The wilderness was where John ministered. A reed is a tall 10 to, foot, uh, 10 to 12 foot cane with a cluster of flowers on the top of it. But the reed is so thin and so weak that it would lay, when the wind would blow, it would blow it flat on the ground and lay on the ground in the direction that the wind blew. Many people are like this reed in their stand for Christ. When a stormy wind blows, when the storms of life blow against them, they fall flat in the direction the wind was going. They have no convictions. They do. They just do what's popular. But not John the Baptist. He stood like a giant oak tree. He stood like the tree that's planted by the river of waters. In Psalm 1-3, it brings forth fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It didn't make any difference how other people stood. John stood upright. John the Baptist wasn't, wasn't clothed in excessively expensive clothing. John, John wore a robe made out of camel's hair and a belt that around, around his waist that was made out of leather. 
John's clothing not only spoke about his office, that his position, his life as a prophet, but also of his, uh, his self-denial. He practiced it. He practiced self-denial in order to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, what did you go out to see? A prophet? He was more than a prophet. He said, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In closing, there were some great prophets in Israel's history. But Jesus said none were greater than John the Baptist. What an what a awesome compliment. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about John's character here. He was talking about privilege. In other words, John didn't have the spiritual privilege that we have today. We have so much more divine revelation than John had. We have the whole Bible. All John had was the prophecies of old. The prophecies of old, the word of old. He didn't have the whole Bible. The lowest saint, think of this, because he said, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But notice, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The lowest saint can study the Bible and know more about Jesus than the great John the Baptist ever did. What Jesus was saying here about John ought to cause us to be better stewards of our great spiritual privileges in having the word of God. Father, we thank you so much for this great passage here, Lord, and the great message that's found in it, Lord, and how it applies to us, God. And Lord, help us to learn from this passage, Lord. God, to not be Moved by the things that we hear. To not be moved by our current place in life. It may be a dungeon or whatever it might be. And help us not to be moved by the lie that we've been abandoned. Father, help us to stand upon what we know. The Bible tells us what we need to know. The Bible says these things were written for our experience. Help us not to believe the hearsay. Lord, help us not to falter because of where we are in our life right now. Because our God knows exactly where we are. And he knows why we're there. And he hasn't abandoned us. His word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he'll be with us always to the end of the age. So the word encourages us. The word tells us the truth. Satan lies to us. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you, you feel abandoned. You feel like you're in a dungeon. 
and you've, be, and you've believed the things that you've heard that aren't true about God. And that would cause anybody to, to be distressed, depressed, anxious, because you have no hope. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you wanna come out of that dungeon, you wanna feel the presence of God in